Amen. Praise God. Look at your neighbor and tell them that you're glad to see them here. Thank you for coming today. We had a little bit of warm weather this week, but it went away. Hopefully, it will come back. Amen. I was sure to enjoy that weather. I went out and rode my bike 30 miles. I'm like, I'm on that. 50 degrees, I'm on that, baby. How many had a good day? It was a little cloudy, but did you enjoy it? Some of you, just being out there was nice. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. We're going through the whole book of Ephesians this year. We're learning about being in Christ, in Him. That's the theme of the book of Ephesians. I want to encourage you to read the whole book every week if you haven't started that already. All you have to do is read a chapter a day. There's six chapters. Read one twice, seven days. There you go. There's also just only a few verses. So if you just look at audio Bible, you could listen to it within 20 minutes, a chapter a day, and the whole entire Bible, uh, no, chapter will only be uh, about five minutes, and the whole entire uh, book of Ephesians, not the Bible, will only take 20 minutes, 30 minutes tops, depending on what app that you use. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, talks about living worthy of our calling. I talked about it last week, but I couldn't get to all the goodies, so I want to do a part two on this. Is that all right? Amen. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Brother, if you could get it for me, please. As we're turning there, I want you to hear what Paul said. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, he is asking us to keep this command. So how many know if he's in jail, we should take it serious? Because this is something he was willing to live and die for. Thank you, my brother. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you then to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are we supposed to live worthy than to receive a calling? Is that how it works? Am I supposed to be running around here doing a bunch of good works so that one day Jesus will call me up and say, hey, I'll let you into heaven one day? Is that how it goes? No. He said right now, I'm calling the whole world to heaven. All you have to do is pick up the phone and answer. You are already deemed worth it or worthy to be saved. God said he will save you. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So you today are worth saving. Even though you may be a sinner, you're still worth saving to God. And so sinners can be saved not based on their good works or trying to earn their worth, but by recognizing their worth that God has placed on them by giving them Jesus. So I want you to get this because in the book of Acts chapter 13, it says that the Jews counted themselves unworthy of salvation and they actually remained lost. How can you actually work the opposite of this is by saying, I'm going to find my own way to heaven. When you do that, you will be unworthy of heaven and then you will deserve heaven hell. So here's how you are worthy or worth getting into heaven is recognizing the worth of Christ. So don't be a rebel against God trying to be self-righteous and earn your place to heaven. Go on the finished work of Jesus Christ because on the cross he says it is finished. Your work of salvation is finished and now the call has come out to everyone. Look at verse 1 again. Paul's in prison. He's writing this letter and he He's telling them as a prisoner, as someone that's locked up for serving Jesus, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you already received. How many ever received their calling to be a Christian? How many Christians do I have? How many disciples of Christ? Amen. So you've received it, now live like it. 
Just like my child is born my child, I don't wait for them to be born and then grow up to be 10 years old to say, well, you've been worth it. You're worthy of being called my child. Now I'll give you the reward of being called a child. No, the moment they're born, as a matter of fact, in conception, in the womb, they're our child. But in this example, the moment they're born, this is my child. This is my son or daughter. And then what do I do for the rest of my life as long as I'm a part of their life? I'm going to teach them to live worthy of what they've been given to be in the Vorostic family. They've been given the honor. Amen. How many are happy you were born to your family? And if you don't like the family you came from, start a good family now with somebody else. Amen. Get married. Start a family that you like so you can hand down a blessing. But here's the deal. I don't make my children earn their worth. My character would look terrible that way, wouldn't it? Like if I said, this is just my offspring. She hasn't proven herself yet enough to be my child. You guys would be like, oh, that's disgusting, right? You'd be like, that's mean. That's horrible. If I said, this isn't my daughter. This is just my sperm grown up. This is just my seed grown up. You would say, not only is that gross, you'd be like, that's crazy. That's not right. That's not a good dad. But you see, the moment I see my daughter, that's my daughter. The moment she was born, you're my daughter. You are already my daughter. Why? Because that shows my character. So don't make God out to be a wicked devil. Don't make God into a devil that's trying to have you work your way into heaven to have you prove that you're good enough to be a son or daughter. God is a father. We call him the father, not Satanas, amen? God is your father. The, the devil will make you work your way to hell. The devil will keep giving you temptation to draw you further and further into damnation. But Jesus gives you salvation instantly, so you receive it. You're instantly born again. You're instantly born again, a son or a daughter. So sadly, we're born sinners, separated from God. But you understand, the Bible says, John 3, 3, that you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. And there are no second-class sons or daughters in the kingdom. When we were born again, we were born again at the same standing as Peter, the same standing as Paul, as every great apostle you've ever thought about in the Bible. We're all sons and daughters of God. Amen? Now let's read verse 2 together. One, two, three. Be and gentle. You all started off. Start together. One, two, three. Be comp. There you go. Gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here are the five things now you do to live worthy of your calling. These are the actions you put towards your obedience. Completely humble, gentle, patient, forbearance or bearing with each other in love and living in unity. That's going to be today's message. But let's continue on to this last part so you can understand the section, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit. Here he's going to give us a creed, our belief system. Christians just don't believe whatever people tell us, and we're not wishing upon a well. We believe what God has spoken through his prophets, through the scriptures. This is a doctrinal statement. This teaches us truth right here. There's one body talking about the body of Christ, the church. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope. We all have the same hope that when we die, we go to heaven, and then we come back resurrected to rule and reign with Christ upon the earth. One Lord, that is our Jesus. When you confess Jesus is Lord, you're saved. One faith. There's many faiths in this world, but they're false faiths. There's only one true faith that will save you. That's the faith that believes Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? One baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is your initiation into the one body, into the church. And then one God and Father of 
above all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Who sustains the world? God does. And so you just saw the triune God there, the Spirit, the Lord, which is the Son, and the Father, Father, Son, and Spirit. And all three of them share divinity. Just because it says God the Father, that doesn't mean God is not also the Son and God is not also the Holy Spirit. There is one God manifested in three persons, not three parts of God. It's not like the Spirit is 33.333% God and then the Son is, you know, this, and then the Father. They're not three parts, and then there's not three gods. There's not three separate gods. There are three separate persons who equally share the divine bank account and are fully God. And the unique thing about the Son of God is that though he always existed with the Father in his presence, with the Spirit, he became flesh to be like us, to die for us because we were made in his image in the garden and had sinned. And so death was our curse. The devil was our master. And he came to destroy death, hell, and the grave and put the devil under his feet and stomp on that serpent. How many are thankful for Jesus? Amen. And that's why he's our Savior. For his death, burial, and resurrection, he ascended to heaven. He's at the Father's side, and he's going to come to rule and reign. And there is no lessening of his divinity. Just because he's called the Son doesn't mean he's any less divine than the Father. Think of human nature. Is my Son any less human than me, his Father? Am I, as his Father, more human than him? No, our status as father and son changes nothing in equality or difference in the human nature. We are both equally human, though I have a status of authority over him. Now, man and woman, am I a better or greater human being than my wife because she's female and I'm male? No, we're both equally human, amen? The Bible says in the beginning he made them in his image, male and female. Male and female represent the image of God, okay? So once again, is the Holy Spirit less than God the Father and God the Son? No, he is equal to them, though he has a different role. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that by the baptism formula. Baptize them in the name. Does it say names? Names of many gods? No, baptize them in the what? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I want to talk to you today about the idea here of walking worthy of your calling. So I prepared a chart for you. How many like charts? And uh, little helpful things here. Hopefully it will be beneficial to you. But I got to get a little deep, okay? I want to go all the way back to Aristotle and the philosophers. They talked about the difference between actuality and potentiality. This is also what Descartes talked about. And this is uh, an important part of philosophy because philosophers try to explain things that go really deep. Now, remember this, the word philosophy, philio, and then osophy at the end. It comes from Sophia. It's the love philio of Sophia, which is the Greek word wisdom. Sophia, if you ever met anybody named Sophia, that's the word wisdom, okay? It's the love Love of wisdom. Now listen, wisdom is not just a fact written on a piece of paper. Wisdom is a person. The Bible says Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the truth. In the Greek, aletheia. He is the truth of God. And then the Bible says in the beginning was the word, was the logos. What word does that sound like in English? Logos. Logic. God is logical, okay? So whenever we study philosophy, whatever is true there is true because our God is true. Whatever is true in science is because our God created the methodology of induction, scientific method, okay? So one of the things you have to understand is that the pagan world, like Aristotle and the Greeks, had to come up with an explanation of motion. Motion. You see right now we take motion for granted. But try to explain why things actually are in motion, why there is movement in the world. 
It's a very difficult concept. It takes a lifetime to try to just explain what the Bible says in one word. In the beginning was God, you know, one sentence. But they tried to do it without God, and they came into a lot of funny belief systems. Some of them actually denied that motion even existed, that you were actually just manifesting different things that you always were. But there was never change, and there was actually never motion. But we know this to be incorrect because we see planets move. We see our bodies grow old. And so what the philosophers had to deal with was this idea that there's an actuality, something that we are and that we can see, and then there is a potentiality, something that we can become. And one of their illustrations would be that of a seed. The seed is actually a, uh, a bunch of minerals and chemicals together that you have in your hand. But it has the potential of becoming an orange tree or an apple tree. But you have to bury it, water it, and all of these things. So there's a motion, there's a change that happens, a metamorphosis that happens from the actuality to the potentiality, and that's called motion. That's called change. Now, as a Christian, I've already kind of given it away to you in the beginning was God, but how would you explain to a pagan or a non-believer or an atheist where motion comes from? What would you say is the source of motion? I'll give you a hint. It's God, and he was called the prime mover by the Christian philosopher Thomas Aquinas. And so the idea is, uh, think of something like me going to the range and shooting my gun. I have a gun, and that's okay. Amen. How many happy good people have guns? Not all the bad people should have them. So I have a gun, and I take a round, not a bullet. It's called a round, which you put into the chamber. And now I have the round in the chamber, and I pull the trigger. The trigger is pulled, and it hits a mechanism that then hits the round. Then the round hits off the mechanism that explodes the gunpowder, then the chamber, inside the chamber, the round ejects the casing, and then the bullet, the bullet is the front part of the round, gets shot out through the force of energy motion down into the range. And it will stay in motion until something stops its motion, like the end of the range, the wall, the target, etc. So we understand that's how motion works within the gun. But let's now go one step deeper. Let's see if you as a Christian can explain this. I know that I pulled the trigger and all of these other sets of motion came into being, but what moved me? What moved me? You say, well, Joe, you moved you. Okay, well, then what am I? Well, you, you know, you're a physical body, you're a soul, you had a decision to make. Yeah, but what gave me the ability to be a mover? Well, you have a mommy and daddy. Well, what moved then? Well, they made a choice one day to move and get it on. How many know what I'm talking about? They, they moved and got it on, and then you came out, okay? And, but then what moved them? What moved then? You see, as I've taught you guys to track the creation order, you also have to be able to track the motion order. Where did motion come from? Where did the first Hyunkin motion come from? God. See, he's the prime mover. And that's why when Paul was in Athens preaching to the Greek philosophers, he quoted their own words and said it back to them and made it for us divine scripture so we know it's true. He said, in God, we live and move and have our being. Movement comes from God. The planets move because of God. Atoms and molecules move because of God. Thoughts move because of God. Now track with me right here. This is important to understand because the gift of movement is now in your lap. It is now residing in your will, the choice to move or not move. Now let me ask you this. Can a sinner on their own move themselves to be a saint? 
No, a sinner can no more move themselves from the category of a sinner to a saint than a human can move and change themselves from the category of being a human to a bird. You can no more change yourself from being a bad person to a good person than you can change yourself from a human to a dolphin. And the distance between a bad person and a good person, a sinner and a saint, is greater than the difference between you and a dolphin. The gap is an eternal gap, separated because of our sinfulness and our evil. So even salvation itself is initiated by the movement of God. I didn't go looking for God first. God came looking for me. I didn't fall in love with him first. He fell in love with me. Are you tracking with me? I didn't reach out my hand to him first. He reached out his hand to me. I didn't light a spark first. He put a spark in my heart first. You see, the Bible says that in him, talking about Jesus, was life, and in that life was the light of all mankind, John chapter 1. The light in the life is the consciousness in the spirit of man. The very fact that you can know yourself, contemplate, and be known is because you be because he be. You would not be unless he be first. Are you listening? And the reason why you can move is because he moves first. And so we call this prevenient grace. We call this the grace of God that initiates the move. We call this the wink of heaven, in other words. He sees you off in the distance. They're dancing dirty with the devil. And he says, you need a new dance partner. Come on over here. Okay, now here's the phrase that I termed, and you can, uh, you know, by God's grace, give me credit for this, though I have borrowed many of my preaching terms, but this one God has given me. I call this dancing with the divine. And so when the scripture says, you are to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, this is a synergistic dance. I want you to understand now the difference between synergy and monergy. If you just look at the word monergy, monergy, it's mono, one energy, one energy. And so God is not in a monogistic relationship with us. He does not yank us off of the back wall of the gym and then start forcing us to dance at the prom. He does it synergistically, a sharing of the energy. Now listen, he makes the first move and empowers me, but I then have a choice to dance with him. How many want to see the example say amen? Come on, somebody say, bring it up here, Jose. Come on, bring it up here, Jose. Let's give it up for Jose as he comes. Now watch. Let's just go with the flow. See, now we're dancing. Now see, he's not resisting. He's in the moment. He's, he's, a, he's a dancing man right now. Now right, when I dance with him, we're flowing. Now, now just watch this. I want you to start to resist. Now see this, watch this. I'm trying to do the same spin. I'm doing exactly what I was doing before, but what is stopping the dance? Him, and he is applying motion. He is applying motion right here in the resistance of what I'm initiating. I'm initiating the dance. I want him to twirl. I want him to be the dancing ball queen today. Or not the queen, but you know what I mean. I want him to be the dancing person that I want him to be, but he is resisting, okay? He is resisting, but now go back with the flow. Go back with the flow. That's what God wants us to do. Let's give it up for Jose. Amen. Love you, my brother. So the simplicity can be lost, but I hope that you never lose it and never forget that example of your pastor dancing with a man. But here's the deal. You have no excuse today to remain in your sin. 
You have no excuse to follow the ways of the world. God is stretching forth his hand, empowering you to live with him, and he will move you to keep his commands. Let me give you the word before I give you the word. Can I do that? Okay, I want you to see in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. This is the lanyap I had from early service. This is what the prophet said about what salvation would look like. Verse 27 of Ezekiel. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Who will move us? God will move us by the Holy Spirit. What person of the, of the Godhead will move us? Which person of the Trinity, y'all? The Father, Son, or the Spirit? See, the Spirit is what's in us. He's in us while the Father and Son are in heaven. I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you have any excuse right now that would prevent you from keeping the laws of God? Can you say, I can't, when God said you can? No, you cannot use it as an excuse, but you have a choice still. The Christian still has a choice. That's what Paul is saying to us. He's saying, I know you've received your calling by choice. You've accepted to become a Christian. You're on God's great dance floor, taking the example of Chris Tomlin's song. You're on God's great dance floor. But now as a Christian, it is your choice to walk worthy, to dance the dance of God, to keep in step with him, because his spirit is always moving you to do it. Look at what Paul said in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. He said, to this end, I strenuously contend. So he is working really hard, isn't he? To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy, what? Christ so powerfully works in me. So how does Paul get the ability to work? From the energy of Christ. Now you may say, Pastor, I know people who are not Christians and they do a lot of work. See, that's an illusion. They're believing a lie. They can't do the works of humanity unless there was a prime mover. Where did they get the ability to move? Just think about it. There's no other way they could have gotten the ability of movement except from God. The Christian is the one that admits it and now lives their life under the submission of that power, that energy. Don't get confused by new age people. They're just trying to be like us. They talk about energy. They talk about the force in Star Wars. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know their left hand from their right. Their yoga will, Yoda will bust hell wide open. Are you listening to me? The energy, the force that you need is the force and the energy that comes from Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that will move you to do the things of God. Now, what happens when we don't move? We resist. We resist. See, this is the rebuke that Stephen gave the Jewish people in Acts 7.51. He said, you stiff-necked people. You don't move your neck and bow to Jesus. You are stiff-necked. You're resisting. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. Read this part with me. One, two, three. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You see, that could be said of us, couldn't it, before we knew Christ. We resisted the Holy Spirit. We, we were being asked to go onto the dance floor to dance with the divine, but we resisted and pulled back. You have to work your way to hell, don't you? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus invites us to the dance. doesn't say you have to earn it. invites us, gives us the invitation. He says, I'll move you. I'll make you a Fred Astaire on, on the dance floor. I will make you move to keep my laws and commands as long as you don't resist me, as long as you keep in step with me. You can keep all of my commands. Why is that important to know? Because God wants you to live a certain way. And you as a Christian cannot 
be justified before God making excuses about his commands. If he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, what are you supposed to say back? Yes and amen. Be holy for your God is holy. Yes and amen. Be righteous in all that you do. Yes and amen. But somebody may say, well, how do I become perfect? What good thing must I do, as the rich man asked? What must I do? And God is saying, you can't do enough. All you'll have is a bunch of do, 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 do. You have to be born again, and then you can be holy, and then you can be righteous, then you can be perfect. Isn't that always the tense of those verbs? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy, for I am holy. The being comes from his being. The movement comes from his movement. The breath in our lungs came from him. Why wouldn't the holiness come the same way? Every good and perfect gift has come from our Father who is in the heavenly lights and has no shifting shadow. You and I are called to be who he's called us to be and to live like how he's called us to live. So look at the philosophical terms. There's actuality and potentiality. It's what God says we are now in our identity as that seed, as that child, and what we potentially can do in our activity. So don't try to get activities without understanding your identity. Don't do potentiality without understanding actuality. What is actual is factual, my friends. I am actually a child of God. Therefore, I have the potential to do the things a child of God does. The bird is actually a bird. That's why it has the potential to fly like a bird. You are a saint when you are born again. That's why you have the potential to live like a saint. Can I hear an amen? Let's look at Paul's writings. Don't take my word for it. We're going through the book of Ephesians. Our year anniversary will be this February. We've already preached 44 messages. Hopefully two years will summarize this. That is my goal, by the way. It is actually two years. Look at who we are as actual, factual right now. Our actual life in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Does it say you will be created in Christ Jesus as God's handiwork when you die and go to heaven? Or does it say right now you are created? Right now you are God's handiwork. My friends, if I have to be born again, again and again and again and again, there's something broken in the system. I should only have to be born again once to be the handiwork of God. I should only have to be created in Christ Jesus one time. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. How many new creations do I need? How many new creations are here? Come on, I only need one in Christ Jesus. But now look at the very next part of that verse. For we are, Ephesians 2.10, first part is, is the A. For we are God's handiwork, in other words, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, Here's the potential, what we can do now, to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what comes first, the good works or being made God's masterpiece? Being made God's masterpiece is what comes first, isn't it? What comes first, my actuality or my potentiality? What comes first, me living worthy or receiving a calling? Receiving a calling. See, my living worthy is my potentiality of the actuality of already being called, being saved, being created in Christ, 
being born again. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It's up to you whether or not you believe it. And by the way, when we as Christians talk about faith, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about believing in angels in the sense of like, do you believe there's a place called heaven with angels? That's not what we're supposed to ascend our belief to, though we are to believe the Bible when it talks about angels. The biggest test of your faith is believing you are who God said you are. That's, that's going to be the biggest test of your faith because that's what holds Jesus' reputation at stake. Is Jesus Lord of all or is he not Lord at all? When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, ma'am and sir, brother and sister, did he or did he not take your sins and give you regeneration, a new person? That is the fight of faith. That is what you must wrestle for in your intellect with your cantaloupe-sized brain to decide in your heart whether or not I believe that. That is the fight of faith. Do I believe Jesus is a Savior that saves me fully from death, hell, and the grave, and the power, the presence, and the penalty of sin? Does Jesus love me enough to make me more than a conqueror and give me his love that nothing can separate me from? Do you believe that? Do you believe Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that this is what you have? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has already, who has blessed, past tense, us in the heavenly realms with how many? With every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many spiritual blessings do you have right now? According to the Bible, you have them all. How many? Come on, let's look at a seed in our imagination. Pretend I'm holding an apple seed. How many apples does that apple seed hold? Oh, my goodness, that would be almost infinite, wouldn't it? It holds a whole lot of apples in that one seed. Because once that seed hits the ground and grows up an apple tree with many apples on every season that have all those apple seeds that can be planted to more apple trees. Now imagine if God's movement and creation can multiply like that. What do you think he means when he wants you to understand this phrase? Every spiritual blessing is yours. My friends, you can't even count the apples in an apple seed, let alone every one of your blessings. Yes, we are too blessed to be stressed, but some of you have got to start believing that. It's more than just a catchphrase. It's a belief. That's why when they were burning us at the stake, we would still sing our hymns because we couldn't lose a blessing while you taking away our life. The Bible says you take away our body, but you don't take away our reward. And we resurrect with Jesus Christ. And so the idea is, do you believe every spiritual blessing is yours? Because then if you believe that's actual factual, that's your identity, then you can see the potentiality of your life, which we're talking about today. Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, be completely humble. See, some of you would like to be like, no, nah, ain't nobody can be completely humble, Pastor. Come on, let's be honest. We're all par partially prideful. Well, then what am I going to say? Eh, liar, liar, pants on fire. You just missed the whole point of what the Bible said. If he said, I am to be completely humble, if that was potential, then that must mean it's based in my actual. Oh, come on. I got about four of you on this side saying amen. Y'all getting anything over here? Come on, I need you all to get this. I can only do what's potential if it's already actual. The apple seed can already pr only produce the apple trees based on what it is. 
if it's an actual apple seed, then it can produce all those apples uh, trees and the various apples that will come from it and produce new apple trees. Are you listening? As I told you before, you can no more swim like a dolphin than you can become anything other than what God says you can become. And so if God says, this is your lot in life, you need to believe it and not resist it. And so he says, we're humans. We're not going to fly like birds. We can create machines, but we will not fly like a bird. That's not going to genetically happen. Sorry, people. X-Men ain't real, okay? But by that, same, by that same designation, if he says, this is the boundary of man, but then he says, this is the expansion of his soul, then why argue with that? If you don't argue with God saying you can't fly like a bird, then why argue with God when he says you can be completely humble? It's in the same realm of his movement. He draws the borders of the potentiality. He draws the borders. He says, this is how far you can go. This is the way I designed you to live. He knows your potential. And so when he says, this is how you are supposed to live, this is how you walk worthy of your calling, you're not supposed to argue or say, but, 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 so-and-so, but my family, but my culture. No, when he says, be completely humble and gentle, you and I are supposed to say, amen. When he says, bear with each other in love, we say, Amen. And when he says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, what do we say? Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say that was the introduction. Amen. You all ready for the message? Because I want to talk to you now about these things. Come on. You all ready for this? Be completely humble. So this means the default of the born-again Christian is to be completely humble. Whenever I am not completely humble, I am to repent. That is the standard. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. How will I know? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's in me. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit's in you, so you can help me, amen? So I'm supposed to be completely humble with my wife. I'm supposed to be completely humble with you. I don't believe that sin is something that happens by accident and you don't know anything about it. I believe the Christian, when they sin, has conviction of the Holy Spirit. I think part of your maturity as a Christian is learning to hear the Holy Spirit, and that's why we have brothers and sisters in our lives, because sometimes we don't hear him the way we ought to. But this is how we're supposed to live. The humility that God is talking about in the Bible is not like a woe is me. It's having really the right mindset of who you are and then who you're not. It's that simple. Look at John the Baptist in the Bible. He knew that he wasn't the Messiah. People asked him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not him, but I know who I am. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So he wasn't shy about who he was. So if you come to me and, and you say, Pastor, are you a pope? I'll say, no, I'm not a pope. But, are, you know, are, they would probably say, Joe, are you a pope? And I'll say, no, I'm not a pope. Are you a priest? I'm not a priest in that way. No, but I am a pastor, and I'm one of the best you'll ever meet. Okay? There you go. There's no pride in that. There's a difference between confidence and cocky. When you go to a job interview, they want to see you be confident, not cocky. When you're leading your family, men, your wife wants you to be confident, not cocky. Children, your parents want you to see you be confident, not cocky. But God wants us the same way. He wants us to know who we are, walk in our identity, and show the world what greatness looks like. Go be the best at what you're supposed to do. Go show the world what the best you looks like. 
and set the standard. Walk worthy of your calling. And so we want to avoid pride's two pitfalls. You can look at it being on the road. There's a ditch this way and there's a ditch this way. The ditch over here is the, is the pride of self-adornment, vanity. Look at me. I'm so much better than everybody else. You have to put people down and lift yourself up. Avoid that form of pride. Be completely humble. And then avoid the pride of self-abasement. Well, I'm the worst pastor, man. I preach so terrible today just so I can get a little compliment. No, you weren't that bad, Pastor. You were okay. See, people who do that are insecure. That's pride. We have to teach them to say, no, what God has given you to do, do it to your best. Give him thanks for it and ask him to help you in areas you were weak in. Amen? So can I do better things as a pastor? Sure, I could have a better message and so forth. I can grow in my gift, but I'm not going to walk out of here with a low self-esteem and then try to have you pick me up in some way and be dependent upon you. No, I'm going to know who I am, and I'm going to know who I'm not. I'm called to be a father, and I'm going to be a good father. And if I'm not a good father, I'm not going to stay as not a good father or, not, or, or bad actions and the negative. I'm going to quickly repent. So that's not who God made me to be. How many want to be completely humble? Amen. The next thing the Bible said was be gentle. Now, I like the King James word better, meek, because meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. Oftentimes when we hear the English word gentle, we think of somebody that's just soft. And so especially for men in the church, as you can see, we're like split 50-50, where a lot of churches have a heavy attendance of women. We always keep it real with the men. Can I get a whoop whoop from the men? Amen. Thank you, men of God. Now, we love the women of God as well, but see, men of God get lost in the, the love language of the Bible and the romance of Jesus and being the bride and all that language where girls just love it. I'm the bride of Christ. I can't wait to get married to Jesus. You know, where dudes are like, I don't know if I'm ready to be a bride, pastor. I don't know if I'm ready to fall in love with Jesus on the honeymoon. What are we doing? You know, it gets weird. It gets awkward. Right, but here's the deal. It's number one, guys always think sex. And bride in the church imagery has nothing to do with sex. It has to do with in, um, intimacy, by the way. And so that's another word for men. Sex is not always intimacy, okay? You can have both, but we always think sex is the, the definitive nature of intimacy. But there's greater intimacy than even sex, okay? But, but watch this right here. What we need to understand is Jesus was gentle, which I like to use the word meek, even when he was whipping the money changers in the temple. Why? Because I define, as I believe the Bible defines meekness, as strength under control. You're never exerting more energy, emotion, or boldness than what is needed at the time. So what was needed at the time with Jesus in the temple was to whip the guys and get them out of the temple. What wasn't needed was for angels to drop nuclear fire onto that place and burn the whole thing down. So he held himself back. So that was, that was meek for Jesus. That was meek and mild Jesus, okay? And the same thing is with me. If I have to discipline my children, I'm not going to do it with my full strength. Strength. I'm going to do it in meekness. That is, if Jesus was there, I would not be embarrassed of how I disciplined them. And you have to look at your life in the same way. Are you filtering your emotions through Jesus? Because that is meekness. It's to filter your strength and your passion, your emotions, your desires through the emotions of the Father. Would the Father want me to do this? Would the Father want me to act in this way? Am I glorifying God with this emotional expression? So that's why we're not Buddhists. We don't believe that the best expression is trying to think about nothing like, mm. no, we believe in feelings and emotions. I remember one time I was debating with the Buddhist, and he was like, man, why is your face getting so red and you're getting so worked up? And, and he says, you know, that to us is like uh, vanity and this and that. I said, no, this is passion. We call this the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, you need to repent. And I was doing it in love, but, you know, I have passion when I preach. And the Bible says they had passion when they preached. He said to Isaiah, shout aloud and spare not. Let the 
people know, okay? And these men were preachers, and they were bold. But once again, they had their strength under control. I didn't look at the Buddhists and go, you're going to hell, and I don't like you, and I want you to go there now. No, hold your emotions under control. Let the Father filter your emotions. How many want to be meek and gentle? Amen. Using strength under control. The next thing is patience. Once again, love the King James here because I'll tell you what, if you don't know what patience means just by that word, let's look at the King James. Long suffering. How many understand what that means now? (laughs) Ain't nothing hard to get about that. Long suffering in traffic. Long suffering with family members. That's what you're saying when you're being patient with them, right? Oh, I got to be patient with so-and-so. What you're saying is I got to suffer with them a little bit longer. I got to suffer through this attitude. I got to suffer through the mistreatment. Here are the things that usually cause people to be impatient. And I'll tell you, ring, winner, winner, chicken dinner right here for me. These are the worst in my flesh. These are the things that agitate me the most. I put this down speaking to myself. Inconvenience, being misunderstood, being hurt, and when people disrupt your day. I don't know about you, but that quickly tests my patience. I instantly have to go into my heart and go, I will not react. I will respond. I will be patient and long-suffering. Has anybody ever been there before? People interrupt your day. People get into your way. They bother you. They misunderstand you. See, I love pastoring people. Don't get me wrong, but it is hard to pastor you at 11 o'clock when I already got my jammy jams on and your whole world is falling apart. Are you listening? That's why before you call me, just pray for me. Say, I'm about ready to call my pastor at 11. Dear Lord, help him to help me, you know? And then if you get my voicemail and Pastor Berto calls you, just thank Jesus for Pastor Berto because Pastor Berto may be better at long-suffering than me. I'm just telling you, I don't have an excuse, but I'm on a journey to learn to long-suffer with you. And so I'm teasing here, but every time I try to make those excuses as a pastor, God convicts me, so I'll suffer along with everybody. But here's the deal. You have to be willing to suffer long with people. Jesus suffered long with us. He's suffering long for 2,000 years. What does the Bible say? They'll mock you in the last days, Peter said. And they'll say, where is his coming? Ever since the world began, it's always been the same. Peter said they do this to their ignorance. They forget that once the world was flooded, now it's being reserved for fire. But the Lord is not slack in keeping his promises, but he is patient with you, long-suffering, for he wishes none to perish. That's why we've been here for 2,000 years since Jesus said, I'll be back. That's why we're still here is because he's suffering long with little Wayne. He's suffering long with Lady Gaga and Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. He's suffering long with King John Hill of North Korea. He's suffering long with people wishing that none of us perish. Amen. The next thing is that we need forbearance. Once again, loving the King James says in the NIV, bear with your neighbor in love. You may not appreciate the King James word as much until I explain it, but let me tell you why I appreciate it, because forbear says a lot to me. It basically means I'm forgiving you of your mess before you ask me to forgive you. I got to bear some stuff ahead of time, forbear in life. Anybody here got to forbear? I mean, you just got to do it sometimes. And I know some of us wish we could go back to Jesus and talk all sassy because Jesus on the cross, no matter what they did to him, listen to me, my sassy sisters and, and, and brothers with an attitude. Here we go. Jesus on the cross after being crucified, hanging up there being whipped, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I know there's some sassy people that love to go back in time and be like, oh, yeah, Jesus, they know exactly what they did. Look at what they did to you. They whipped you knowing what they did. They put you up here knowing what they did. Jesus, they know what they did. They even put above your, 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 uh, your cross, king of the Jews. They're mocking you, Jesus. 
And some of you want to say the same thing. Oh, I can't forgive people like that. They know they're hurting me. They know what they've done to me. They did it on purpose. But here's Jesus' revy. Get Jesus' heavy revy here. The reason why you could forgive them and say they know not what they do is because they did not understand hell was going to be their eternal home. They did not understand the pain that they would feel in eternity being separated from God. Because if they could have spent a moment in hell, they would have rushed out of those flames and never did that to Jesus. And if they could take a moment in hell, understanding where they're going to go for the pain they've caused you, they would repent so quickly right now. And if they understood the glorious love that God has for them, if they truly understand what heaven is going to be like in the new earth ruling and reigning with Christ, they would never live in that sin. Are you listening? So here's what happens, my friends. And I want to say this about patience as well. Our level of patience shows our level of trust in God. Come on, somebody Facebook that. Mm-mm, pastor. I love it when y'all get that little, mm, it's like that filet mignon. Mm. Somebody gave me anonymously a gift card to Red Lobster for Christmas. I love you, whoever did that. God bless you. Hint, hint. No, I'm just kidding, but I'm just throwing it out there. I just got to say thank you, whoever did that. But, man, I walked right into Red Lobster like a boss. You know how they have the Red Lobster right there in the front, the lobsters? They're not technically red yet because they haven't been burled, but they're right there. I just walked in, took it, and I said, I want this one right here. Where's my wife? She will tell you. I walked it all the way back to the table, and they said, you crazy you, table. And they said, you can't do that. I said, I thought I could. And they'd like, no, you can't. And I said, well, can you, can you kill him now anyways? But I really did. I just took that thing right out, and I said, I want, where's my wife? I want her to confirm this. Said, you know, you believe me. Y'all believe me, right? Okay, so anyways, but when I was eating that lobster, just like you guys right there, I was like, mmm, that's so good. Hear it again, put it on Facebook. Our level of patience shows our level of trust in God. You can't take what I don't give you. You can't take my patience. I can only give it away. There's nobody that can take your patience unless you give it to them. And so here's the deal. You have to trust God in the time of pain and sorrow. And it's the same thing in the times of forbearing. We're looking at God and his emotions and his heart for people, not our own pain. Amen? Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. And as Adam comes up here, please, I want to talk to you about being unified. Those are obvious, but unity is also equally important, but maybe not as obvious. So let me help just draw it out a little bit. How many of you work a job? How many of y'all get paid to do that job? Amen. Those of you not raising your hands, can I pray for y'all to get jobs? Only got 10 people in the church with jobs. How many of y'all have a job? There we go. How many of y'all get paid to do your job? Okay. Thank you for helping your pastor. Okay. Now watch. If you showed up to your job and did something other than what they wanted you to do, would you get paid for that? No. And, and if you got away with it for one week, it wouldn't last very long. So if I go to McDonald's and start cooking up Little Caesar's pizza, am I still going to be working at McDonald's very long? If I go to Foot Locker and start selling Payless shoes, are they going to keep me there? Hello, somebody. It's not going to work. If my man goes to Pepper Construction and just goes up there, man, and just takes off all of his safety gear and starts doing extreme sports bungee jumping off the side of his building and he's the safety inspector, is he going to have a job? Is he going to get a paycheck for that? As he goes, bonsai! Let's see how much I can, how, how high I can jump off these buildings with the rope tasseled around my, my waist, you know? No, they're, they're going to say, you're fired. We did not put you here to do that. Now, Red Bull, do you get paid if you work for Red Bull jumping out of buildings or off buildings? Yeah. Do you get paid at Little Caesars for making Little Caesars pizza? Yes. Do you get paid at Payless for selling Payless shoes? Yes. You have to do the job that you're assigned to do. See, that's the same thing in the family. God gave wives to do a job. 
husbands to do a job. We'll get to that in Ephesians 6. Children to do a job. In culture, he gave government to do a job. He gave businesses, economy, to do a job. We're supposed to do that. In the church is where we model it. Because we know here we agree to the same moral code. So we set the standard here. But if you can't do it here, how are you going to do it with the boss that doesn't like you? I actually like you here. Amen? How many know your pastor likes you? I love you. Your boss may not love you. So practice serving the church. And then when you get good at it, you can do it on your job even though people don't love you there. That's how I teach the young people. Those of you who are already old, do, do these things as unto the Lord and set the example as an older person. But I learned to respect ungodly bosses, ungodly people, because I was learning to respect my parents, learning to respect the church. A lot of young people here need to hear that. And then what about what God's call is for the church? If you have two different visions, what do you call that? Die vision. You're cutting away the vision. Our vision at this church is to win souls and make disciples, connect, mentor, send, loving God, loving people. Is there anything confusing about that? No, let's do that together. If we have trouble in the church, watch. What are we supposed to do? The Bible says if there's trouble, make every effort to keep the bond of peace. Are you really making every effort to keep the bond of peace if you go to Facebook with your problems at Metro Praise? That church thinks there's so much better than everybody else. Is that making every effort to fix the problem? No. How many know messy people cause messes? Because the way they talk about us is the way they talk about their ex-husband. It's the way they talk about the restaurant they just went to. And that's why I hide them people and block them on Facebook. Because it's not only you talk about me this way. Your life is like this. There is a, there is a trail of disunity in your life. But how many know when you follow peaceful people around, they're going to work through difficulties. Not, not everything goes well with peaceful people, but they make sure they work it out in peace. Now watch this. What did the Bible say? Blessed are the peacemakers. you got to make some peace. Amen? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. So if I had conflict in the church, yes, but I want to make peace. Have people had to leave? Yes. But if they made peace, God bless you. Right? There's a way to do it. In my family, I make peace with my relatives who don't want to serve Jesus. How many got people in your family who don't want to serve Jesus? Amen? And it would be nice if they minded their own business, but they don't. How many got some crazy siblings or some family members that don't mind their own business but don't want to live for Jesus either? So I got to be like, listen, you're going to be up in my business. I'm going to be up in your business. I won't tell you to repent or you're going to hell. Y'all pray for me. I just got free. I wish I could tell you what family member I was thinking of in that moment. But I'm just like, the Bible says live at peace with all people as much as that depends on you. I want to be in unity. I want to tell people what I believe, and even if we disagree, and I'll try to stay as long as I can in relationships, because I want to make every effort to keep unity. Sometimes family members are better not at family functions. That is true. Sorry, I had to ask certain ones of my family members not to come. They would overdrink, and they would cause issues at my, my functions. And I said, you can't come until you get this taken care of, and I'll help you, etc. There are friends that I had to cut off in my life, you know, cut off my life. It, we go back a long ways, but I'm closer to Jose than I am to them because we don't share the same values, okay? So are we always going to agree? No. But this is, you know, you've heard this before. You can agree to disagree. We can agree to unity. We can agree to unity. Do my wife and I always agree? No, but we can agree to being unified. Let's, let's be unified. Let's be unified as a church. 
A lot of the political things going on right now, a lot of the immigration things, right? You got a lot of different nationalities here. You got a lot of different opinions here. How do we demonstrate our unity? Do we demonstrate our unity by every single one of us agreeing upon economic policies, immigration policies, on uh, social No, we're not going to agree upon all that, but we agree upon unity. So I want to encourage you as our church grows that when you have discussions of disagreement, maybe you should just set up right at the beginning, hey, we're going to do this by the Spirit through peace, and I'm going to make every effort to be cool with you. See, that way we can end in a way that we want to instead of ending with broken relationships because if the church, come on, people, if the church can't show reconciliation, then what are we telling the world? If we can't show that we can get along here, come on, somebody, what are we going to show the world? And if we can't do it here, what what are we going to show the world in our jobs? Because they're not even saved. They don't even believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins. I mean, they're going to use and abuse us. If we come into the world, look at what the Bible says, as salt and as light, we can see the world transformed. What does salt do? Come on, somebody say, Goya. Can I hear a Goya? Oh, yeah. Come on, somebody say, Goya. See, what does Goya do? Seasons, seasons, flavors, come on. What do we do in the world? We season it, we flavor it. I want to end with this, just a simple saying. I know you guys have heard it last week, but let me say it again as we close out. Living worthy of our calling, living like this shows the world that God is working in and through us to bring the kingdom. It becomes a reality to them. People look at your life and say, man, God did do something. They'll only see the potentiality, right? They'll only see it when we actually start doing the activity, but you'll be able to point to where it actually happened. This is where it actually happened. See, now people look at me like, oh, yeah, Joe, you're a good husband. Joe, you're a good father. Joe, you're a good pastor. Yeah, but 20 years ago, 1995, at a table in my mother's kitchen is where it actually happened. I've just been living up to the man God made me to be. Come on, I've been working out my salvation that he gave me. How many of y'all want to live up to what God made you to be? How many want to walk worthy of the calling you've already received? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Come on, let's give it up. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say thank you, Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. Altar workers, would you come, please? Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just keep thanking him for the next few moments before we go. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you. Just thank him for the actual, factual identity you have today. Thank you, Lord, for transforming us, for changing us, for giving us a calling, for loving us, for caring for us, giving us grace, grace, mercy, and love. Just a few more moments as the band sings. As you move me, I move with you. Just pray right now that God will move you. Ask the Lord to move you today. To be completely humble. To be gentle, long-suffering, forbearing, unified with His purpose in your life. Some of you need to ask God to give you forbearance right now to the people that have hurt you, 
Don't carry bitterness into 2018. Say, Lord, help me to forgive them right now. I forbear with them. I suffer long with them. And I pray for their salvation. Pray for God to make you gentle and meek this year. To have strength under control. Completely humble. Ask God to make you completely humble. To know who you are. Those of you in relationships, ask God to unify you with your husband, your wife, and families, with your children, your parents, on your jobs. Jesus, move me, and I will move with you. Move me, Lord. Won't you move me? Let's pray before we go. And those who want to come up and receive prayer from our prayer workers, please do that or enjoy the fellowship. But let's just surrender our will to God today and let him move us. Lord, you are the prime mover. Move me, God, and I shall be moved. Lead me and I will follow, oh my God. Work in me and I will do the work you have for me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give it up for the Lord one more time. Isn't he worthy of it? Amen. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, live worthy of the calling you receive. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you at Life Groups. Feel free to come up for prayer or worship with us. Have a great day. I will.